and his skills. This is recorded. Cool. Uh, morning, everyone. I'm back with Britney Spears mic this week. I tried um, Sam's favourite microphone the other week, last time I spoke, but found I felt like I was someone sort of giving out car registration numbers at a wedding, and I was leaning in quite a lot, and uh, it was very difficult. So I like this. It's a bit more freedom for me to express myself, and I look more fabulous as well. So it's, it's win-win, really. Uh, so when preparing this autumn's preaching series, Sam asked me to preach on the topic of starting new families. Um, I don't think he's expecting me to talk about having new babies, thank goodness, uh, but more uh, about church planting. So I thought long and hard about what it is to church plant. Should we plant churches? That was a spoiler. Should we send, ch- should we, why should we church plant? What clever advice can I give? What, would, what was Jesus' teaching on it? Then I went about preparing a punchy sermon that best encapsulated the subject. I hope you enjoy it, and more importantly, you are challenged. So, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Does anyone want to hazard a guess what that is? The Great Commission. Commission. It's uh, not surprising. Um, It's a very famous passage in the Bible, and it says, and I want you to listen to this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, I hope you like my sermon, and if the band can come up, we'll carry on with worship from there on. Thank you very much. Sam's face went white. Um, (laughs) That was my sermon. Um, I finished that on Monday, and uh, I decided that the sermon was a little bit short. Um, I still had the rest of the week to prepare some more, so I did. As those of you who heard Sam speak last week about his testimony will remember, in the early 80s, my parents moved to Faversham, made friends with some folk in this church, we witnessed Sam's healing, and started bringing Sam and myself to church. For anyone who doesn't realise, Sam's my younger brother, and they weren't just bringing him and some random kid along together. I then spent the next 14 to 15 years of my life in the church, as it moved from the Labour Hall man, that's a long time ago, to Flint House, to Queen Elizabeth School. I remember shouting out a song number as a small kid when we used to have hymn books, and the church sung it. I loved the church from that moment on. It was number five in the red book, I remember that. I remember the little, it's funny what things you remember. Um, I remember the small side room and the back room with the ramp in Flint, in Flint House, where the children used to sing songs and get some top teaching. We sing 10 and 9, 8 and 7, 6 and 5 and 4. Oh. Good, good songs. At QE, I mostly remember loads of the kids and teens playing football after every meeting. But to be honest, I was a teenager at the time and uh, my priorities were interesting. Um, as a teenager, I also remember two early instances in my life of the concept of church planting. Firstly, my parents felt God speaking to them about the Midlands. 
and the potential of moving up there to get involved in a church plant. This was in the mid-90s? Mid-90s. To me, the Midlands felt like the end of the earth. Oh, bleak. Bleak, grey, full of people who spoke funny like my Auntie Linda and Uncle Steve and my cousins. I didn't like the idea of it at all. I was happy with my life in and around Faversham. I studied at QE, I was involved in sport, had friends at school, a few at least. I had friends at church, had friends down the road. In the end, Dave Devonish, a very prophetic leader with the New Frontiers, chatted and prayed with my parents and advised them not to move while Sam and I were at secondary school. My parents chose to stay in Faversham. At the age of 18, I went to Coventry University. And then after university, I moved to Birmingham for the next six years. So I lived for nine years in the Midlands. <laughs> point one today, God's got a sense of humour. Um, I'm not really starting my points yet, but I guess that's like a bonus point that he does. The second instance of uh, church planting was kind of a repeating instance, I guess. We used to go to Stonely Bible Week every year. Who here ever went to Stonely Bible Week? Can I see a raise of show of hands? For those listening, that was no one at all, no, I'm joking, there's uh, quite a lot of people. It was a much-loved Bible week that went on from 1991 until the year Anna and I met, which was 2001. 2001, there we go. It was the last year we met. Um, I therefore spent most of those years in the youth meetings. Often, a couple of seminars and an evening meeting would be uh, focused on church planting particularly overseas. We'd have preachers speaking about the amazing things God was doing in other countries, particularly during the years of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto that was happening at the time and other places. Now, I had no interest, I'll say that again, no interest, hello Elise, whatsoever in travelling to India or China or wherever else the preachers would talk about and the prophesies would pray about towards the end of the meetings. It was always easy to avoid the church planting and overseas seminars during the afternoons and during so just like at the end of the mornings. There was a choice of seminars, I could avoid them, that was okay. But the annual evening meeting would involve me resolutely sitting there telling God I had no heart for the nations and I felt called to stay in England and the local church. After all, we can't all be called to other countries who would fill the seats back in Blighty. So anyway, in early summer 2008, Anna and I travelled to Japan to join the church plant in Nagoya, and we stayed until Christmas 2012. This teaches us that God has a sense of humour. I've done that already, but I guess in all seriousness, I do want to bring something out from my little storytelling introduction. As a bonus point, I guess, when God calls you to go somewhere, if he calls you to go somewhere, whether in the country, out of the country, wherever, he will give you a heart for that place. He won't send you somewhere you hate. He didn't say, you're off to Japan. I'm like, oh, I hate Japan, why do I have to go? By the time I went, I couldn't see how I could be anywhere else. And that was a total turnaround, total turnaround. I didn't want to go to the Midlands as a kid. But when I sent off my university preferences, I felt led to put Coventry as my first choice. Really, like really, like Coventry? 
Come on, I love the specials. It's a ghost town. No one wants to go to Coventry. You get sent to Coventry. You don't choose to go to Coventry. I loved it. I tell you what. <laughs> and I, I, I'm really glad. I loved it there. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> In the same, I love. I love the Birmingham accent. It always gets like, oh, oh, we're not agreed on that one. Though. I love it. People hate the Birmingham accent. I think it's fantastic. It always gets rated one of the worst. I think it's beautiful. I love it. Really do. Coventry University offered me a spot on a course, even though I didn't get the grades. I didn't get the grades. I phoned them up, thanked them for the opportunity. They gave me a spot on a course. That's got to be good. I never felt called abroad. But by the time I was packing my bags to move there, it felt crazy to me that anyone couldn't be interested in going there. Why doesn't everyone want to go to Japan? God changed my heart and has done many times in my life. In this book, Relational Mission, A Way of Life, that we've been working through these last few weeks, Mike Betts, when writing about starting new families, i.e. starting new churches, says, every church should have an ongoing, vibrant, proactive commitment to church planting. Is that cool? Is that scary? Is that realistic or actually a bit unrealistic? If the church is called to have this vibrant, proactive commitment to church planting, is that something that everyone is called to be a part of? Like the way we're all called to be worshippers, to pray and read the Bible? Or is the commitment to church planting a calling for a few, just a couple of weirdos in the corner? Is it enough for the church to have a few folk who are known as those with a heart for the nations by the rest of the church? I've thrown a few, a few questions up there. hope I can answer them for you. As well as using a few examples and stuff that Anna and I have learned from our time in Nagoya with the Eaton family. Not the Roger Eaton family, the Tom Eaton family. It's very confusing. Um, and the church plant there. So first up, let's look at Mike Betts' catchy phrase, vibrant, proactive commitment to church planting. I'm not going to shorten it. If you're writing notes, you need to write the full thing. I'll say it again. Vibrant, proactive commitment to church planting. What even is that? What does it look like? Vibrant and proactive sound like words I learned about when I was doing my hairdressing qualifications. Proactive is hands-on. It's asking how we can help. Believe me, it's such a blessing when you're abroad or in a new church plant and you know that other churches and believers are praying for you. When they invite you to talk about the plant, <clears throat> when you're back on holiday, which always happens to us here, we'd always be invited up to update people on what was going on. And so on. Oh, such a blessing. It felt good. It felt people interested, even when we're just teaching you one to five in Japanese. <laughs> when churches support plants uh, with money, or they cover costs for leaders or others to fly back for leaders' meetings, or pay to fly preachers over to spend time teaching and supporting the new plant, which happened to us in Japan sometimes. We had Terry Virgo come over, various other people to pray for us. We couldn't afford that as a church. They got paid for. Proactive is all these things and more. It's getting alongside those plants and those involved in moving to join it and asking, how can we best serve you in what you need? Every time we got a small parcel when we lived in Japan from someone we knew with sweets, chocolate, tea, for those of you that follow me on Facebook, you'll know that PG Tips is a particular 
issue for me. Snacks or whatever in that package. It was a surprisingly joyous blessing. Not just because I was missing British recipe fruit and nut, but because our friends and family felt hands-on, they felt closer, like they cared. Like they missed us, like they remembered who we were, that we'd not just ceased to exist. They were thinking of us, caring about us. We're not all personally called to be the person going off to the plant, but we're all there as a church together, being part of that person's church planting experience. It can kind of suck on a personal level when a close friend or family member leaves your day-to-day church life to go off to a new church hundreds of miles away. There's people that used to be part of this church that have moved on. I miss them still. I'm sure we all miss them. It sucks. You want to see you like them. You want them to be around your house. But the church is not just individual clusters of believers. And we're not in competition for numbers or trying desperately to cling on to our elders. The church is global. We're part of a much larger, fa- larger family, sharing our strengths, our skills, our expertise, our people with each other, where they're needed, where they're called. I was speaking to Sam about this sermon yesterday, actually, in a, uh, in a kid's soft play area. We weren't in the pulpit or anything. We, we were sat at the table, wishing we were young enough to still be able to get in the pulpit. Old age catches up with us. I was speaking to Sam, and he said something I felt I really need to add in, which is what I'm doing now. If that's okay with you, I'm sure it will be. We didn't say anything weird. He said that local churches should always be willing to give away their elders, members of the leadership team, those who will be missed on a Sunday morning, during the week, when it comes to the running of the church, providing that smile, prayer, or open home. We should be willing to give them away plants if they feel called to go. As a church we should get excited about our members feeling called to go elsewhere, even if it feels that them moving on to another church will leave a huge gap. He talked briefly to me about Tom Shaw in Canterbury. Listed, then Sam listed a whole stream of those in the leadership team there who Tom has happily supported in leaving to plant elsewhere. Now Tom himself is heading off to plant in California. Sorry for some. Yet every time someone, and I think this was one of Sam's big points, yet every time someone irreplaceable left the church, the Lord strengthened or provided someone else to step up. The Lord provides. He knows what he's doing. He loves the local church. If he calls someone to go plant elsewhere, he'll provide. (coughs) Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27, tells husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church that he gave himself up for her. The verse doesn't say that Christ loves exciting new plants in exotic countries, but isn't fussed about churches in small towns and sleepy villages. Christ loves the church. He loves Faversham Community Church as much as he loves whatever the latest new plant is that keeps getting featured on New Frontiers videos and on the website. He's just making sure that the right people are in the right place at the right time. And I'm glad that this is where I'm supposed to be at this time. Christ loves Faversham Community Church. I feel that those who are called to remain in the churches they're in 
can get totally behind those who feel called to move to a new church or join a church plant. We can pray. We can support them before they leave, after they've left. We can help them to look for work for a house. With their moving, we can offer them emotional support, spiritual support. We can just carry on loving them. We can offer glasses of wine after a stressful day. Then we can joyfully send them and carry on supporting and caring for them when they've moved. Our very church DNA can include this vibrant love for those who feel that God has asked them to be involved in something new. We can all be involved in that. As Mike Betts says in his book, a vital key for me is that church planting must be relationally based. It's friends, together on a mission, operating with maximum relationship and minimum organisation. Church plants thrive in a relational environment in which the spirit of all those involved flourishes. We must invest in building and maintaining our relationships above all. We recognise there is a pain when it comes to releasing people we love and letting some of our best people go to something new. Yet, we shouldn't let that stop us, but rather see it as a normal part of any family development. For example, if I can briefly use them as a very simple example, the rules. Within the last four years, you've sent two off to university. You got one back, not bad return. <laughs> but it's a tough it's, it's, You saw it as a normal part of family development. It hurts. The first time when you sat at the table, just the two of you, probably weird at, at best. More food, that's true. A lot more food. I go back to my parents' house, their the cupboards are full of more snacks than there was when I was there. They're loving it. <laughs> it's normal part of family development. Church planting, especially when it comes to overseas, can seem a bit mystical and almost scary. And to be honest, it is a huge change of lifestyle for those who are called to be the ones who go. It does sometimes feel like church planting within Christianity as a whole is sometimes almost spoken about in revered, hushed tones. It's like the history we learn of as children, of the, of the believers who took a four-month ocean liner into the unknown in order to set up a church in a distant land and spread the gospel to whoever they found there, praying that it wouldn't all end in malaria or their murder. There's a lot of people in history that we learn about that did that. I can only imagine, and I don't like to, what it must have been like to plant a new church before Skype, Facebook, flights across the globe in nine hours with, uh, with nice food, well, nice food as you go, some food as you go. Mobile phones, packages arriving within a few days, and so on. Having to wait six months for your letter to hopefully get home to Britain, and then wait another six months to hopefully receive a reply with very limited input available from other church leaders, apostles and friends. That's what we learned about in history. No wonder teenage me didn't fancy it on those stony evenings. They're terrifying. However, Mike Betts speaks about it in a really matter-of-fact way in his Relational Mission book. When talking about balancing this vibrant, proactive commitment within the church with an often over-complex view of church planting, he says... Often church planting sounds more complex than it needs to be. Simply put, a church can be started when pioneering men or women find themselves in a new place. 
That's a bit simpler. Moving can happen for a variety of reasons. It could be the providence of God, a work move, or even a plan move in discussion with ascending church, and an apostolic ministry. I couldn't say that. I believe every Christian should feel a passion for church planting and have some way of supporting or being actively involved. The church and even the gospel will not advance in the way that it should without an intentional church planting program. Think about that for a moment. Church planting is not a fad. It has not had its day. I would say church planting's changed a little because of these wonderful new things we've got, things we can use. Doesn't need to be mystical, doesn't need to be seen as overly complex. I'll be honest, from a personal point of view, I find this clarity refreshing. Anna and I chose to promise Tom and Julie Eaton three years of our life for the Nagoya Church Plant. As our three years came to an end, we returned home and urged various people to pray about whether we should return home after our three years or give a little more time to the church plant that was really starting to grow and show fruit. Now, no one came rushing to us to tell us to stay in the UK. Got a bit hurt about that. Make it another ten years and save your money. Don't come back. Uh, no, we didn't feel... We also didn't feel any staring from God to return to the UK. So we decided to stay longer. Eventually returning home in the December 2012, at a time that made sense. Lena was three months old, and staying longer would have opened a whole can of confusing nursery and work worms. Also, we wanted family to share Lena's life. We didn't get over complex about it. Our move to Japan was planned. After a couple of years of praying, discussing, a holiday to meet Tom and Julie, job finding and so on. Then we lived, worked, churched there, returned home again at what we felt was the right time. I'm simplifying it a little. God was speaking clearly to us about moving to Japan. But we knew we should go. We planned it, prepared, spoke to the right people and so on. Sometimes it can be as easy as needing a new job and being off the one in another town. That happens to people, happens to people a lot. You check to see if there's a church there, and lo and behold, there's a church plant being planned for later in the year. You meet up with the leaders of the plant, pray a lot, chat a lot, talk it through with family and eldership, you take the job, suddenly you're church planting. Larger churches may plant into a different part of the same city, as my previous church in Birmingham, Church Central, have done. And Adam's previous church, Adam. They split, they split into different campuses in a few different parts of the city. And Linda and Barry's, and Anna's. Oh, there's so many of us. I can take over, I love it. Boroi to you guys. It's beautiful, actually. Not done very well. Um, they split into different campuses in different parts of the city. Maybe you live in the part of the city that the eldership is um, being called to plant into. Or you're emotionally invested into that area and are asked to pray about whether you want to go with a plant without even needing to move house. That happened a lot. That happened in that church. People went, some people felt called to places, some went geographically. And suddenly they're starting up a whole new campus within the church. 
Maybe you're very good friends with a couple who are leading a plant or taking charge of that new campus, and they ask if you'll go with them. These aren't four months at sea voyages. Yes, change can be scary and exciting in equal measures, but I know a lot of people who never saw themselves as Mr. and Mrs. Church Planter, who, through friendship, love for their local area and prayer, have said, yeah, this feels right, let's do it, let's go for it. When we were in Nagoya, we were lucky to be joined at different times by some different folk for different lengths of times. I guess some were more involved in the building of the church, while others were more there as, as it was their local church, while they were living in Nagoya. Some came purposefully for the plant, Others came for work and got involved in coming along, but being part of the church. Jimmy and Roz, a couple from South Africa, came to Nagoya for Jimmy's work, but really got stuck into Grace City Church while they were there. Jimmy's a drummer and played a lot in the worship teams and at social events. Roz prayed with wisdom and befriended far more people in the church than I ever did, bringing a warmth and ease that was a real blessing. A lad called Ben came to Nagoya to study and get involved with the church while he was there. He returned to the UK after his studies, but moved back over to Japan because he felt so called there. There are guys who went out there before us and are still there. Others who went out after us and left before we left. God spoke to everyone involved in that church plant differently. And people have spent a whole different amount of time in the church doing different things. Not everyone is called to like a, a lifelong mission. Some are called for like two years, three years, for specific things. People have been in numerous plants throughout their lives. For one, for a long time, for a short time. Due to the ongoing health of their youngest child, Tom and Julie Eaton have returned to the UK now and were asked to be a part of the church plant up north. I've written Oop North, but that's so cool. No, I can't get away with that. Any northerners don't upset any, upset any northerners as well as Coventry today. <laughs> I know from speaking with Tom many times over the years I was around him, he always had such a huge heart and huge vision for Grace City Church in Japan. We noticed that, I think, didn't we, Anna, when on meeting them. It exuded, you know, it, it, he exuded it. It came out of his pores. You could tell it. He gleamed when he talked about it. He had a huge vision for the future of Christianity in the country. In the end, it was right for him to leave earlier than he probably expected. But as part of the Eaton's return to the country, they were asked to get involved in the church plant over here. I love that normality, the fluidity. They returned to the UK and their new home, after being in a big church plant, their new home, it's part of a church plant they just got asked to be part of. And they're going for it again. When I first started on this sermon, when I was um, preparing it, I took headings from the chapter of the Relational Mission book. I had them there ready to work through in this sermon. Maybe it would have provided a more structured, less rambly approach this morning, but I couldn't make it work. Instead, I wanted to lay my heart on the line for what I see the church planting to be, for how I agree with Mike Betts and how I think we can overcomplicate and over-spiritualise sometimes the Great Commission. The very heart of church and Christ's aim for us is to go, make disciples of all nations. That includes Britain. For a start, the Bible wasn't written by a Brit, was it? We are all nations. This country needs it badly. The very DNA of the church should be that vibrant and proactive commitment to church planting. 
It's not something where we point at, say, Anna and I, and say, Firsham Community Church and church planting? Yes, that couple were part of a church plant in Japan. That's their thing. Talk to them. I don't do church planting. Shouldn't be like that anymore than when asked about being worshippers, someone points at me and says, yeah, see, Luke, he's got a beautiful voice, puts Chris Martin and Adele to shame. Talk to him. Worshipping's his thing, not mine. Don't do that. We should do that with church planting. Christ's church is made to advance. The old song, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a classic, I love it. It's not about the church standing firm with us safe inside while hell batters us. It's about the gates of hell not being able to stand against an advancing church. Church planting is our thing. We're not all going to be the one physically leaving the church, but we are all planting together. I'm sorry, I'm going to use a cycling analogy. I apologise for those that hate or have no idea about cycling. But hopefully it's clear. When the cyclist Mark Cavendish wins a cycling race, he thanks his teammates, the mechanics, the soigneurs, the team manager, the director sportif. He understands that winning a cycling race is all down to the team. He may be the guy who um, crosses the line first, but he was led to the front by a lead-out man who fought with elbows and through gritted teeth to keep him safe and put him at the front with 200 metres to go. Three other guys will have hammered out 55 miles an hour for 5 10 to 10 kilometres through dangerous high-speed corners to make sure that lead-out man has a chance to fight for the position. Two riders will have ridden at high tempo for 100 kilometres to keep the gap to a breakaway group steady before bringing in a gap of six to seven minutes to give those guys a chance. Before that, a domestique, is my pronunciation good? Yeah, that's good. A domestique. We'll have kept these riders safe in the main group, sheltering them from the wind and danger, moving to the front numerous times to make sure things are okay, and then as the pace picks up, dropping back to the car numerous times to carry countless bottles to each of his teammates. That's just on the road. Mechanics set up each bike individually for the exact type of racing terrain every day. The big teams have their own chefs who cook food that best suits the riders. The soigneurs pack, which means helper, I believe, just translation is, hmm? Carer. Carer, yeah, carer. They do everything, basically. They pack the lunch bags, like your mum. They give all the, ma- all the riders massages each day after racing. They hand out drinks and lunch bags from the sides of the roads and care for the riders when they finish their day. They're there at the beginning of the day for them, at the end of the day for them. The director sportif goes over all the possible plans, motivating, changing those plans, supporting riders even as the race unfolds. unfolds. To me, that sounds like vibrant and proactive church planting. <coughs> it's down to everyone praying, helping someone move being that sympathetic ear and shoulder to cry on if the person moving is feeling the pressure as a church planting. Let us be enthusiastic and joyful in any opportunity we have as a church to be involved in supporting a church plant. To finish, Fabersham Community Church, as uh, many of us will know, is part of a larger group of churches called Relational Mission, hence the title of this book. The Relational Mission website has a very handy and clear section on church planting. 
listing every church connected to relational missions. They also list whether the church is established, like our church, says established next church, nice. or planted, or in the planning process. To give you an idea of the work that relational mission are doing with regards to church planting, I wanted to quickly read out the church plants that are either planned or planted. It's something you can all check through at your own leisure, but it's exciting to see so many churches in their early stages. All of these have started with God talking to people, prayers, planning, support, others asking for information and so on. I'm just going to read them out with their emphases, but before I do, I want to tell you about how I knew I was called to Japan. From when God put Japan in my heart, and I know Anna has a similar story, every mention of Japan in the news, in conversation, in sport and so on, gave me what I called the God tingles. I felt God speaking to me, I felt him on me at that moment. He was stirring something inside my heart. I got emotional about it. For a year, I'd say, something about Japan, news, image of the flag, someone random saying something, thrust itself onto me without me even looking for it. Every day for a year, more than a year, people would suddenly say things, something about Japan. I don't, I don't think that's happened to me since. During my Frontier project, which I got to do um, in Birmingham for a year, I got to go to prayer meetings with church leaders in the Midlands. I got prophesied over about Japan at one of them by someone that didn't know I was interested in it. That's quite a good sign, to be honest. Anna and I had prophecies over us that linked clearly to Japan or travelling somewhere where there was darkness. Angela Kem, for those who know her and, and who I'll love forever after an evening in Japan that she spoke at, prayed with such love, wisdom and affection over Anna and I about Japan. If Nagoya was going to be read out on this list in a minute, and I was at that stage, I'd have felt moved by God in that very moment. The second someone had read Nagoya out, my heart would have been like that. You may never have thought about these places where relational mission is planting churches. Maybe you've been praying for some already. Maybe I'll read somewhere out now that God has had on your mind for a while. One of these places, Anna and I felt stirred for a few years ago at a Kent Churches Together prayer day. Um, it was after we were there and there was a couple um, who got up to speak about moving to Helsinki. One of them, uh, Lydia, used to come to this church when I was a kid. We used to play, to each, play with each other actually a bit. And then they moved to Canterbury and they've moved on from there now in Helsinki. Beautiful place. But yeah, they got up to speak about moving to Helsinki. Anna and I got back in the car and both declared that we were certain that it was going to be another place they were going to be speaking about. And we both said the same country in the sea. We both felt something stirring, which wasn't something we'd expected, having just returned to the UK with Lena. I contacted the leader of the church. We're talking very early, very early, you know, nothing. We weren't like, we're moving there this second or anything. I contacted the leader of the church, got onto their Facebook, and I've been praying for them and keeping up to date with their news. Anna and I would both agree that now is not the time for us to physically go. Now is not the time. But sometimes, God puts a place in our heart, and it might never be the time to go. Because sometimes God puts a place in our heart to pray for, support, there's a stirring. People feel, oh, you feel such a stirring sometimes about a, a city or a church or a place, that you almost cry when you're praying about them. That's God's stirring to pray for them. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to go, but you can be in, in, involved in the church, but what's happening there? Through your prayers. Through that stirring. 
Having that vibrant commitment to church planting should be in our church DNA. I'd love to leave you with a challenge today, if that's okay, and I don't think it's too scary. It's definitely not a challenge for you to buy a one-way ticket to where you poke a pin into the map and get you all up. You can poke a pin in there and uh, off you go. I'd love you to pray for three things, if that's okay. Please. Number one, please pray for an increase in the church of God's love for the unreached in the UK and overseas. I think we can do that. I think a lot of us will be doing that already. Okay? An increase of God's love in the church for the unreached in the UK and overseas. Number two, I'd love you to pray for opportunities for us as a church to be vibrant and proactive in a commitment to church planting. So number two, please pray for opportunities for us as a church to be vibrant and proactive in a commitment to church planting. Number three, I'd love you to pick one of these church plants and add it to your personal prayer list for a while, if you don't have one on there already. Just for a while. Just pray for God's blessing, support, doors to be opened, and so on. So please, pick one of these church plants and add it to your personal prayer list, just for a while. It's not you saying, I'm going there. It's just you can pray for a church. It's great to pray. It's good. The churches need your prayer. They love it if you're praying for them. If you feel like it, hunt them down on Facebook or somewhere online and see what they're up to. There's some amazing stuff if you start looking behind what the church is doing. I hadn't looked at the Helsinki plant until this week. They're doing some great stuff. They're doing some great sermons. They're doing some amazing things going on there, which I didn't know about until I found out. It's getting to know your family. It's getting to know what's going on. Okay, if the band could please come up, I'm going to read out the plants, and then we're going to pray. Okay. So it's in two categories. There's planned and planted. So the planted are the ones um, that are there. They're going. They're still classed as a church plant. They're still being supported. They're still in that stage. The planned ones have not happened yet, but things are in place. You know, they're sort of bringing teams together. They're looking at how it's going to work out. Okay. And my pronunciation for one or two, I hope it's okay. Okay. Planned. Brussels in Belgium. China. Pardubici in Czech Republic. Newmarket. Colchester. And Dover. Those are the planned church plants. These are the ones that have been planted. Tallinn in Estonia. Helsinki in Finland. Lille in France. Frankfurt in Germany. Riga in Latvia. Valka in Latvia. Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Gdansk in Poland. Gothenburg in Sweden. Malmo in Sweden. Stockholm in Sweden. Ramsgate, Tenterton, Great Yarmouth, Thetford, and Stowmarket. There are postcards at the at the back on the um, on the notice table. What about Kurdistan? Kurdistan. Are they relational mission? Yeah. No, Kurdistan. It wasn't on the website. Thank you. Kurdistan as well. You've got a card right there. <laughs> Iraq, Kurdistan. Thank you very much. 
The, um, there are cards at the back. In grab and pray requests, they've got addresses on the back. It's just like, I'm praying for you. Here's some prophetic words. Here's something. Just, they're there to be sent. They're addressed already to go. It shows support for these churches going on. Okay. So. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Lord of, of all the nations and of all the people, Lord. You're the, church, uh, you're, the, you're the Lord of the very rich and the very poor, of, of those that have and those that don't have, Lord God, that you love us all. Lord God, your love for all is vast, it's unmeasurable. I pray, Lord, for an increase of your love for the unreached in the UK and overseas in this church. Lord God, I pray you'd open and fill our hearts with that love, Jesus. I pray for opportunities in the church for us to be that vibrant and proactive um, approach, that commitment in church planting, Lord God. I pray for that in your name, Jesus, that we'd really feel an increase of your desire for that in the church, Lord. Amen.